0: Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Three, two, one. And we are back, Kevin's Corner, on a Wednesday. Uh, It's a little newsy on today's podcast. Uh, Myself and Brendan King, BK again, out of the bullpen for us. I thought I was supposed to end last week or uh, Monday's podcast with a baseball pick out of you. I don't think Uh, I asked you. Um, NLCS, ALCS, where are you going? Well, my original pick was Dodgers-Yankees in the World Series.
1: Okay, But, man, the Padres are really good. Padres are really good.
0: And as we record this, the Phillies are up 1-0. I know. Look, Kev, the
1: game I did at Wrigley was Cubs-Phillies. The Cubs swept the Phillies. The Phillies were dead in the water after right. that week. I, I cannot believe the run they've been on. Okay, you, got, you know as well as I do. In the MLB playoffs, momentum is everything. Mm-hmm. I might be picking the Phillies to match up with the Yankees in the World Series, but the Yankees are my World Series pick. I just okay. think the depth of that team, if they don't win it, that's a
0: shame and Aaron Boone probably getting fired. Yeah, it's weird how the Yankees are list like, somewhat lovable underdog unreal that's even a thing with the astros and obviously the astros are like you know peak cheat peak hate so uh you know part of that puts them uh, into that situation but excited to watch the baseball playoffs as we record this of course the pacers season gets underway and we've got a lot of colts news to get to on this kevin's corner so thank you to yourself brendan king for stepping in thanks for having me kev filling in for eddie um alec pierce interview we'll throw kind of the back half of this pod uh we'll throw that in for twitter questions had pierce on our morning show with myself and jake query so if you missed that we'll put the pierce interview in here um obviously some Jim say comments we'll wait till twitter questions to get to those uh, we will lead off with that give a prediction for the colts and titans after twitter questions and um we got a, we got a couple news items to get to before we get to um all of that stuff. So looking forward to today's pod. Wednesday's pod, you know, I, I'm always kind of like, man, what are we going to talk about? And then you, know, you kind of get to Wednesday afternoon, you're like, oh, wow, uh, there's a good amount to get to today.
1: It's like a uh, TV sitcom that's being writ- written for you, like just as the week goes on. It's like, oh, there's there's a little
0: nugget. As the world turns or, you know, uh, <laughs> whatever, days of our lives, whatever my mother Colleen Bowen would watch from a um, soap opera standpoint, the NFL um, can be like that at times, And uh, we got a lot to uh, unpack today. Kev, your first little nugget was the no-huddle approach for the Colts from last week into this week. Yeah, I think any time you find offensive success with a particular item, you're curious, like, okay, is that the identity? Or is this just a week-to-week cycle of the NFL? And, you know, I thought Marcus Brady made a great point on Tuesday, the offensive coordinator for the Colts, and saying, you know, part of the reason why the Colts had so much success on Sunday was because it was an unknown. You know, Jacksonville didn't see it coming, and now it's on film. And you know that Mike Vrabel was keeping a close eye on that. The Titans didn't play on Sunday, so I'm sure the Titans saw it firsthand. And then, of course, um, preparing for that leading into this week. um, You know, a couple things about the no huddle looking back on Sunday. It was just amazing to me to see a change in tempo, a change in rhythm, a change in approach can kind of cure everything. I mean, it cured the offensive line protection issues. It cured the turnover issues. It cured Matt Ryan. Um, a struggling run game, I felt like got support from a Deion Jackson-led kind of dink and dunk sort of receiving game. And as we record this, uh, I just got back from Colts practice, all three running backs uh, practicing, which I think is a very good sign of Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, and Deion Jackson Um you know, I asked Frank Reich on Monday, what is the hesitancy in using no huddle week in and week out? Um, and I kind of knew his answer, but I just wanted to hear a little bit more from him on that because I do think he, he can get pretty detailed offensively when you ask him those sorts of questions. And he, you know, pointed out, like formationally and personnel wise, it does restrict you. You know, I think early in the game, the personnel grouping was Pittman, Pierce, Campbell, Allie Cox and Deion Jackson. Well, obviously, Allie Cox had kind of a quiet day from a receiving standpoint. There's times during the game you'd like to get Grantson in there. You'd like to get Jelani Woods in there. Um, you know, Running back-wise, Deion Jackson was the lead back running and receiving. At times, you'd probably want to mix and match Taylor and Hines if they're both healthy. So, again, I, I understand where he's coming from with that, but I also think, in my mind, Given how big of a rut you were in offensively, you cannot, cannot act like the no huddle is too far away in a weekly game plan to touch. It's got to be close by. It's got to be in your back pocket. Um, now, having the same success with it week in and week out is should not be expected. And having it away from home is probably more difficult. Crowd noise, I think, plays a lot into it. But I think it is something that clearly this offense found success with in so many different areas that it was such a jump, Brendan, from you know shutout week two to 34 points on Sunday that it's got to stay close. It, it, it's got to be whatever, number two or three on, on the game plan if it's not number one. Um, I also think this. It, my assumption would be that guys making the transition from college to the NFL are probably more used to running no huddle. I mean, you watch a ton of college football. How much of it is tempo? I mean, you see Tennessee on Saturday? (laughs) I mean, that is tempo to the nth degree out of Josh Heupel. So, you know, guys like Granson and Pierce and and Jelani Woods and some of these younger skill guys, you would think they might be a little bit more used to it than, you know, guys in the Peyton years maybe were uh, coming out of college. So, uh, the recipe of 58 pass attempts a game. That's not going to work. It, it, it just, it's hard to sustain that. Uh, I looked it up earlier this week of games the Colts have played where they've attempted 50 or more passes. They're 6-25-1 mm. in those games. Now, of course, a lot of that you got to think you're kind of backdooring your way into games and, and you know a lot of two-minute stuff late. But making sure that you still feel comfortable with utilizing it, and if all of a sudden you're going a quarter – without any success or something like that, hey, we'll change the pace. Should we throw something at them? We feel like this personnel grouping's really good. We feel like the personnel grouping that maybe Tennessee starts a drive with. You know, I've always felt that, Brendan. Think about defensive lines and how they rotate during a game. If I'm there on Sunday and for some reason Tennessee's got Denico Autry and Jeffrey Simmons out to start a drive, hello? Keep them off the field. Boom, boom, boom. Tempo, tempo, tempo. Um, so those are just some thoughts I've got no huddle-wise. Heading into Sunday.
1: Took the words right out of my mouth with the Danico De- De- Autry stuff. I mean, does anybody in this league oh God. play as good against their former team or have a grudge <laughs> against this former team more than this guy? And then secondly, Kev, I loved what Deion Jackson did on Sunday. No disrespect to Deion Jackson, but if he's making it look that easy with the little – bubble screens, whatever, little catches, checkdowns. Imagine what JT and Naeem Hines can do in that situation.
0: I got this question. Um, I guess it would have been yesterday, Brendan, of, you know, was this always going to be the game plan for Sunday or did not having Taylor and Hines, you know, kind of force even more than no huddle? I think this is always going to be the game plan. Um, I don't know if the Colts, you know, do they incorporate a, you know, third running back? In a game plan, I think that's interesting. Like, do you have room for Deion Jackson? Um, But again, we talked about the extension of the run game. I guess the Colts didn't really have a great run game this season to even extend. That was kind of the run game of Deion Jackson, you know, having those 10 catches out of the backfield. Um, So I have a lot of credit for Frank Reich of not banging his head against the wall and continuing to try and do the normal stuff that they were doing offensively and realizing that a change was necessary. I obviously hear people that say, well, it wasn't this done earlier in the year. I get it. Um, let's give credit for doing it at some point. And now, I know Reich has not operated and continuing to do this on a weekend in week-out basis, but I would argue I've never seen such a drastic shift in his tenure from mm. no huddle success versus normal huddle success. It's just so drastic right now that you can't get too far away from it moving forward. Well, we'll see what happens with
1: Deion Jackson because I was watching our boy Field Yates on ESPN. Deion Jackson is the highest-scoring Colts running back this year in fantasy. That's something to keep going. Gosh, on. that's wild. I know. All right, Kev, something we talked about on Monday and seemingly something that's close to your heart. Brandon Faison versus Isaiah Rogers playing time. What happens this week?
0: Yeah, let me start with um, going back to training camp. Late July – Again, did a podcast of the five training camp battles, left tackle, right guard, third corner, i.e. face on a Rodgers, strong safety, Nick Cross, Roddy McLeod, and then kicker. The only camp battle that I think really played out, and I guess let's just put kicker to the side, was strong safety. I never felt like the Colts actually had a competition at left tackle. I never felt like they actually had a competition at right guard. And I would argue, I don't think they had much of a competition at third corner. I think it was just Brandon Faison's job. And I'm trying to think. Rodgers, I think, suffered a concussion in the first preseason game. I think on a kick return. You know, at that point, you've been camping for over two weeks. And he was out after the concussion for a little bit of time, but he never really got a true opportunity, in my opinion, in those first couple of weeks. Um, I'll reiterate what I said Monday. It's time to bench Brandon Faison, it's time for Isaiah Rodgers to be the full time third corner. And there's several reasons why I believe this. Brandon Faison right now has been hurting you in coverage, stopping the run, and with penalties. It's not just a one of those three, Brendan. It is a three-prong issue, in my opinion, right now with Faison. So for those trio of reasons, I guess, I would bench him. The other part is, this is a defense right now that needs more instinctual players, in my opinion. Needs guys that find the football at a higher rate. Uh, They are not getting their hands on enough balls. They're not creating enough turnover opportunities. We did see the return of Shaquille Leonard at practice on Wednesday. Doesn't sound like it's a slam dunk. He'll play Sunday, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, Think about this play on Sunday. Remember, like the muff or whatever happened there with Cootie and Nick mm. Cross over near the Jacksonville sideline, and then all of a sudden, oh, Isaiah Rodgers has got the ball, and, you know, and the band is out on the field, and like <laughs> Isaiah Rodgers is reversing field here, and oh my gosh, that just turned into a disaster. To like, did he get ten yards on that return? Like, it was impressive. And if I'm not mistaken, at that point it was like fourteen to three. You were down. It, you needed some energy, a jolt, and I feel like Rodgers just has this knack. I know it's hard to describe, and you know it may be hard to kind of quantify, but he just he's around the ball, and he gets his hands on it, and he makes plays. Um, That's a guy that I would want to see it there for 100% of the snaps. And you hear Gus Bradley talk on Tuesday, you hear Frank Reich talk yesterday, glowing about Faison. I mean, no indication of like he's going to be outright benched. And maybe that's just public chatter on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Again, Rogers is out snapping face on, but it's still too minimal for me. Like I want to see a full, let's give Isaiah Rogers that opportunity. And let's also give Brandon face on the opportunity of seeing the bench for a week. I mean, Brandon face on is a, seems like a pretty good pro. They clearly think highly of him. Um, he's been an undrafted free agent and a spot starter really for the vast majority of his career. It's not like it's going to be the most unforeseen situation where you bench him and you should be worried about him mentally moving forward. Like he's used to that. I mean, he's he's an undrafted guy. It's not like he had the starting job from day one. See how he reacts to that. See how he handles that. Maybe that's the wake up call of like, gosh, I signed the one year deal and you know, whatever three, three ish million or however much it was for. Um, kind of rested on that a little bit, figured that there's no way Gus and Ron Miles are going to bench a guy that they know very well. I am totally good with him being there, and if I'm not mistaken, one of the bigger runs from Derrick Henry back in week four came on a missed tackle by on near the line of scrimmage. Henry bounced it to the outside and had that touchdown run. Um, yeah. I think back to the Chris Ballard phrase quite often, especially in this situation. The locker room knows. Let's hook up a lie detector to fifty guys in that locker room and ask them: Should Brandon Faison or Isaiah Rodgers be the third corner right now? I think the locker room knows.
1: I agree. And Kev, remember the conversation of the last few years for the Colts defense before Gus Bradley got here? You heard nearly every guy mention the number 40 in the number of takeaways that they want to have. And not focusing on that particular conversation. But if you want a defense that can get to that point, Isaiah Rodgers is the guy that's going to be aggressive on the ball, something that you just talked about a couple minutes ago. Uh, I haven't liked the aggressiveness of Brandon Faison either, but Isaiah Rogers is the 40 type of guy, kind of that style of player, that's like a dog just trying to get off its leash. Yeah. Just wants the ball. Yeah. Wants the ball. And I think Kari Willis at the same time, I mean, that was a major loss too. But, Kev, show me something. Show me some passion. Show me some heart it, at the quarterback position.
0: And again, no Blackman, no Leonard right now. And both are back to practice. Those are two guys that I think find the ball. Yeah. You know, at a really nice level. So when you're missing some of that, I think you got to try and find that void. And, it's Ryan Tannehill 17 to 21 a couple weeks ago. It's Trevor Lawrence 20 of 22 on Sunday. That recipe needs to change. And I think just giving Rodgers that chance is it going to be perfect? Probably not. But I think based off how Face on has looked again, three prong run game, pass game, and penalties. And then what Rodgers is known for, I think it's time to make a permanent switch. And. I guess when I say permanent, I say let's try it out, see what happens, and then move on from there. Colts had thirty-three takeaways last year. I I think they have just three picks right now. Yeah, thirty-three. And, and, that was a huge number, Kev and, and Brendan. Like I don't recall many like drop picks right now, or like you know again hands on balls. Like I, I don't recall many of those moments so far this season to where man they've had some opportunities. They just got to finish plays. No, I don't. I don't think so.
1: Kevin, some news this week. Oh, a lot of news that is from the Washington Commanders. Oh boy,
0: oh boy. nice. Did I say, did I say Commanders? Yeah, yeah, very all nice right. there. Um, Four twenty-five kick here in two weeks. So you think the NFL is happy about that one? <laughs> uh, I, I think they are. A <laughs> few more eyes on there, that one. There's the a little league.
1: drama coming to Lucas Oil Stadium. One o'clocker. Uh, all right, listen. So uh, Heineke is going to start right. from the Commanders this weekend. Carson Wentz potentially a four week recovery, and maybe we will not see Carson Wentz at Lucas Oil Stadium, and maybe that 70% snaps will eventually come into play.
0: Yeah, we'll get to the Jim say Daniel Snyder feud um, coming up here after the Alec Pierce interview. Let's focus on Wentz's injury situation right now. First off, um, like you said, um, surgery on his fractured ring finger on his throwing hand, that is not ideal. Um, Sounds like four to six weeks on that. As we record this, he has not been placed on injured reserve. If he is placed on injured reserve, that would keep him out for four weeks at least. That 70% threshold, basically you could miss four, maybe five games. That's likely it, though, if you're going to meet that 70% threshold. So if he goes on IR, in all likelihood, he's not going to meet the 70% threshold, and the Colts would then get Washington's third-round pick, not their second-rounder. Before I get into some of those ramifications, I'm really bummed that Carson Wentz, it's looking like he will not be playing quarterback a week from Sunday in Lucas Oil Stadium. Agreed. Um, I wanted to see it so bad. I want to see the entertainment. I want to see how Wentz reacts. I think something you love about professional sports, Brandon, is just atmospheres, storylines, again, the entertainment feel to it. Um, I mean, here's Carson Wentz, like, on the brink of his career, you know, potentially being done, frankly. And all of a sudden, he's coming back into Lucas Oil Stadium and playing in front of an owner who publicly, you know, backed the little four-wheel. I'm picturing the kid driving the four-wheeler on the GIF. You know, he's backing over his, I thought his friend, maybe not his friend after he did that, uh, in the front yard. That's what I picture when I think of the Wentz comments from Jim Irsay this past offseason. Uh, So, selfishly, again, from an entertainment value standpoint, Taylor Heineke doesn't really scratch my itch coming up here a week from Sunday. Um, Having said that, you look at the ramifications of this. Colts draft picks right now, they've got their first, they've got their second. The third rounder was traded for Nick Cross. So, you would be either getting Washington's third rounder, and that would kind of replace yours, or you'd get Washington's second rounder if Wentz were to play 70% of the snaps. And then you'd have two picks, you know. you have three picks in the top, you know, whatever, 50 or 60. That's, that's obviously pretty good when you're thinking about it. Um, if you want to look at it just from a player standpoint, Brendan, think early second round and the success the Colts have had in that range under Chris Ballard. Shaquille Leonard, Braden Smith, Michael Pittman. You know, you throw in Rock Yassine, I guess he would have been an early second rounder. That's four names, three of them pretty darn good, and a fourth in Yassine that, you know, netted you, you know, you're hoping a pass rusher that has had a quiet start to the year, but would not shock me at all if he gets, you know, to that 8, 9, 10 number by the end of it. You know, that's that's a range where Chris Bowers found a lot of hits on, and he loves that range. You know, he's a big believer in that, you know, you try and acquire a lot of picks there whereas you get to the third round and now you're getting into a Terrell Basham uh, Bobby O'Carriquet, um a Julian Blackman you know you can a hit here but not like a double a triple like some of those other names so if you just look at the player you know that's obviously a gap. But then when you look at the trade value of what trading the 34th overall pick or the 66th overall pick means, that's where I think you really notice it. Uh, it's not as obvious because it's harder to look at you know, projected trades when you're talking draft picks. Uh, but I, I scanned what a first round would look like right now. And as of October 19th, you've got Carolina at 1, you've got Detroit at 3, and you've got Houston sitting there at number 4 and 5. Well, in my mind, Carolina will draft a quarterback. I would think Detroit would draft a quarterback, and then Houston again with two picks right there at four or five. That's three QBs off the board before you even get to the fifth pick or the sixth pick. Um, you got Seattle sitting there with twelve and fourteen. You've got Washington sitting there at eleven. I, you know what are they going to do? I mean, you could be looking at a scenario where only one team in the top. 5 is not going to draft a quarterback. Therefore, that's one team that's saying, you can trade up with us. Or that's one team that's saying, we're going to pick the best player that's not a quarterback, and we're not moving. You know, There's no guarantee, obviously, mm-hmm. that a team's just going to trade with you. So you could be looking at a draft where you get to pick 5-6, and you're already a quarterback 4-5. And I think that is the reality of where you're at right now, where the Colts are sitting at, I think it's right around 20 right now and okay you know let's offer them pick 55 your second rounder well you're probably gonna have to throw in next year's first probably gonna have to sweeten it even a little bit more than that if you're gonna make a drastic trade up into you know the top five or maybe it's the eight range is Hendon Hooker a guy that all of a sudden is now gonna be in the same breath as CJ Stroud and Bryce Young is Will Levis, where does he fit into all of this? Like, it, It's just not ideal at all that you have those teams that need quarterbacks. Houston's got two picks in round one. Seattle's got two picks in round one. You're looking at having a first, second, and a third. You're just kind of having your normal draft capital. Um, it's not a great situation to be in when you've continued to kick the can down the street And this is the issue of, like, you're kind of backing yourself in a corner of, like, hello, the time is now to make a move, but 31 other teams don't care about your timeline. They've got their own timelines, and it just might not work out on paper, or if it does work out on paper, it's going to cost you a ton to make such a drastic move. And I guess the last thing I'll mention on this, BK, before I let you chime in, is let me make it very clear, the Colts still fleeced Washington in this trade. You know, let's say it's a third-rounder for Wentz. That means you've got two third-rounders. You got one last year and then this year, and they ate all of that money. So that, without question, you still fleeced him. For the umpteenth time in a row, they were going to cut Carson Wentz, and Ron Rivera said to the Colts behind the scenes after the trade, wait a minute. You gave up what for Matt Ryan, and we gave up that for Carson Wentz? Like, that doesn't add up, you know. That does not add up at all. Uh, So, Ron Rivera was shocked and pissed, and rightfully so. Uh, So, the Colts certainly won the trade. There is just a little bit of a sour taste in that. Man, what type of results will it lead to when it's all said and done come late April 2023? It's always nice to be on the positive end of a fleecing, isn't it? Always, yes. (laughs) Uh, Well, well well said. We
1: we, have... I think we, in our lives, have both rooted for teams, Kevin, that have not been on good sides of fleecings. Correct. So, and, and, I, like, I'm watching Anthony Rizzo right now smile with the Yankees, and one of the kids that they got for Riz, the
0: Cubs, isn't even in the
1: system anymore. So, oh I'm boy. I'm very sad. But anyway, go ahead.
0: That's a salt meat wound with that one. It It is just wild to me that, like, the Colts would have cut Carson Wentz and Washington did that. And like again, we'll get into the Daniel Snyder stuff here in a few minutes, but like how much was Snyder saying? We've got to do this. We've got to do it right now. <laughs> I, I and I know it's kind of a probably an easy one to lob up right now, but it is something that is relevant. Okay, um let's hit up the Alec Pierce interview, all right? Uh, again, this is Alec Pierce with us on Tuesday morning, caught up with the rookie wideout from Cincinnati, myself and Jake Query on our morning show. We'll slot that in here before we get to Twitter questions. Uh Alec Pierce is with us right now on the Payless Liquors hotline. First off, Alec, good morning. Secondly, do you have the touchdown ball and where is it?
2: Uh good morning guys. And actually I I'm about to go get it when I go to the facility to, uh this morning, so
3: did, have you, did, have you put a place like on the mantle for it?
2: Uh I'm not sure. I'll probably, you know, just hang on to it and at some point do something with it, but yeah, we'll we'll figure it out.
0: Uh, I want to go back to that third down play from Sunday. Um, mm. When did you realize that, that that ball was, you know, coming your way? And what did Matt, Ryan, if anything, what did he say to you uh, in the huddle or before that play?
2: Um, you know, when I heard the play call, I kind of realized um, probably when, when, when I saw press coverage, I, I knew it, the ball was going to come to me. Um, and, you know, he told me in the in the huddle just to go get it. Make a play,
0: and then wasn't there a moment where you looked over at Reggie Wayne and he kind of gave you a pre-snap reminder? Yeah,
2: like I I looked over to him. I think before we got in the huddle or or whatnot, he was he was giving me a little uh, signal, let me know, like you know, be patient and work my release because I had I had a, a play earlier in the day in the day where I had a, a deep ball and I didn't really you know work much release, just tried to run by the guy, and um, so he was just telling me to be patient and you know, work
3: work it. I'm going to ask you, Alec, the dumbest question. I mean, you're a rookie. You may play 15 years in the NFL. 15 years from now, you're going to go, this guy asked me this question once. It's the dumbest question of my entire career, okay? Okay. Um, How much of, in, in any particular play, how much of that play is you strictly having to run the route and go about your business as it's designed for you? versus being aware of where your defender is and having to make adjustments based on the defense, or does the latter part not even enter your mind? Um
2: we have some routes that that change based on how the defense is playing. So um yeah it's definitely that definitely does enter my mind. Um it's pretty pretty simple stuff. You know, it's usually just reading like what type of what type of uh defense they're playing like like cover two a lot of times my routes convert um, but that happened to be a play where my route converted to a go ball if they were pressed. So,
0: he's rookie Alec Pierce. He's with us on the Payless Liquors Hotline, fresh off that game when he touched down on Sunday afternoon. Alec, how have you seen Matt Ryan's belief change in you over the first month and a half of the season?
2: Yeah, I think you know he. I'm just continuing to um, build confidence, or he's continuing to be um, more confident in me. Um, you know, I just try to do every day in, in practice, go out there, and make plays, um, go out there, run the run the right routes, um, don't mess up many plays, you know, and, and get to the right depths and, and be there, if, like, right where he wants us to be.
0: Were you worried at all? Obviously, the concussion is out of your control week one, but you did have a drop in the end zone. Were you worried at all? Oh, man, you know, that was a great opportunity to make a strong early impression with my QB, and I just blew yeah. that chance, and now I'm not out there week two. Were you worried at all about, like... Oh geez, it's gonna take me a while to regain that trust.
2: Um, I don't, I don't think I was necessarily worried. You know, I, week two was tough for me because I really wanted to um, be cleared to play because I just wanted to get out there and you know continue to uh, prove myself, prove to the team, you know, prove the fans, everybody that I can that I can play on this level. So I know that was that was tough in week two that I that I was set out because um, I really like that after week one after how I played like the. The thing I wanted to do the most was get out there a to week, too. Like, it couldn't go by quick enough that week to get out there and play and prove myself.
3: Alec, I'm going to ask for you to simplify something for me. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. Mm. But I assume a lot of our listeners probably are the same. And I don't mean that to degrade them at all. I'm saying when you say they were running like a press, and so therefore it was a go route for me, yeah. uh, in non-football terms for those of us that, that aren't wide receivers in the NFL, that means exactly what?
2: So that means the uh, press when the defenders like up tight on you on the line, press press man coverage, they're just they're just playing you uh in man coverage and they're they're playing you right on the line of scrimmage. Um and you know, my route would change from it was a it was a shorter route and you know, that's that's tougher when the guy's right up there in your face. You know, the the best way to beat a guy I think when they're they're pressed tight like that, you can just run by them go deep. So, um it changed to a, a, just a deep ball.
3: Do you feel that your strength is more so getting that separation immediately on the line when a guy is up close on you, or if he is still close on you as the ball is coming, having the body control and strength to bring it in?
2: Um, I'd say probably the latter. I mean, I do. I, I think the biggest thing at this level, the quarterbacks are so good, and then also the defensive backs are really good players too. So you're not going to – you're not going to necessarily like kill the, kill the guy at the line of scrimmage all the time. Like he's going to be there. You just got to get a, a good release where you c- you can hold the line and save space for the quarterback to throw you a, a good ball. And then, and then they do that because they're unbelievable players.
3: You personally, Alec Pierce, you played defense. You know, obviously in high school. I think even in college, maybe you took some some snaps playing as a defender. Mm-hmm. But how much does that benefit you now? Because you know kind of the mind of a defender do you ever when you're lined up put yourself and revert yourself back to when you play defense to think through what your opponent is doing and then of course anticipate what's coming
2: um I don't think I consciously do i mean a lot of it has just come from playing a lot of years a receiver you 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 understand the looks um and you understand oh like this guy this guy might be playing the outside leverage. Like, what does that mean? He doesn't want me to go outside. So, if I threaten his outside, like he's gonna, he's gonna react to that, and he might make a move. So, on the release, you're gonna try to uh, threaten his leverage and, and go and uh, use that to your advantage, and, and and make him get off his spot and, and and make a move. So,
0: just got word the stream is back up and running. So, thank you to Alec Pierce for accomplishing yeah. that. Little does he know that he's helping us out technology wise today. Alec Pierce is with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Alec, before, if I'm not mistaken, Reggie Wayne came down to Cincinnati and worked you out pre-draft. or was part of the Colts contingent that came down there. Um, were you familiar, or did you have like memories of Reggie Wayne as, as an NFL player?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, watched him growing up a, a good amount. You know, I grew up in I grew up in Chicago, so definitely remember watching the the, the Super Bowl of um, I forget what year it was, but when they when they beat the Bears in the Super Bowl. Um, were you a Bears yeah. fan? I wasn't a Bears fan actually, but I was actually a Packers fan, so it's kinda of like forbidden in uh in Chicago. But my dad my dad was from grew up and was from uh Wisconsin, so he got me on that early.
0: Gotcha. Well glad you made out of Chicago alive with that <laughs> fandom. Um what yeah. has Reggie taught you the most in this rookie season? Um definitely
2: a lot about, you know, just like Beating the DB, like you, like I said, with their uh, technique, uh, how they're playing, their leverage, all that. A- attacking that and using that your, to your advantage to get open.
3: Alec Pierce is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Um, Alec, at what point, if it has happened, I'm assuming it has, because things from the outside seem to be all kind of coming together for you right now. Was there a particular moment where you realized that the game – had just kind of slowed down and you now felt comfortable as an NFL receiver? Um, I think,
2: I think, you know, week three, that was kind of my goal in my mind. I don't know if it just happened naturally, but I, I kind of told myself, you know, I was going to go out there week three and just play football and, and not be so in my head thinking about, you know, if I'm doing things right, um, if I'm, you know, reading the defense, right, whatever. So, Kind of just told myself to go out there, relax, play football. I know Reggie been he's been on me about that, you know, since the day one of camp, kind of telling me, you know, just go out there and, and just just play play ball. He's like, he he knows I have the skills, but it's just he, he thought like I was just you know thinking too much, it was just slowing down my game. So I, I really focused on that week three and told myself like right before I walked out on the field, like, just go out there and play loose because that's how I think I play the best, you know.
0: Alec, I um am a very unapologetic diehard notre dame fan so my venom towards you uh was probably there i'll fully admit last fall i also am an indiana university grad so i guess i could go with that with what you did to both of those football programs last fall did you find it ironic at all that you were drafted by the colts after what you did to notre dame and indiana and those were probably uh big reasons why chris ballard uh, fell in love with you
2: yeah it is pretty ironic um I definitely, you know, I thought it was a good thing because I, I figured, you know, there's a lot of people here, a lot of fans here that that may have know, known who I was because of those games. So it probably helped, you know. A lot of, a lot of times, people might be thinking, oh, like, who's this receiver out of Cincinnati? Like, smaller school, um, didn't have like crazy stats in college or whatever. But at least, at least a lot of people I think got the chances to watch me play because most, most of those people who are fans of the, um, you know, the Hoosiers or, Notre Dame they they beat Colts fans, so I think a lot of people had experience watching me from one of those games.
0: They've gone from cussing at him, Jake, to cheering for that's him right. now. That's right. Yeah. It's quite the one eighty. Alec, who's the best athlete in your family?
2: Hmm. That's that's a tough question. Uh
0: and I guess if you don't mind, can you fill us in a little bit on your parents' athletic background and your brothers?
2: Yeah. Um so my my mom and dad both played Sports at Northwestern. My my dad played football there. My mom played volleyball there, um, and then my brothers are both. They're both six six, so they they got the height definitely. Um, they are they're both basketball players. My older brother uh, just signed overseas. Uh, he's playing in Montenegro, and then my younger brother is. It just got out to Princeton for his freshman year. He's he's starting on basketball season here soon.
0: Well, we know who the smartest one is. I guess.
3: Well, two Northwestern <laughs> grads. I don't know. Maybe that's. Yeah, that's a debate. Yeah. Alec, finally, take me through what you know as a rookie player in the NFL. Just take me through what a week is like for you. Like when you're not at the complex, what sort of things do you have to do to get yourself both, I guess, mentally and physically prepared? How is that different, if at all, from college? Just take me through how life has been for you.
2: Life's been good, but yeah, it's definitely um, a bit more of a job. You know, we're 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 there pretty much all day on the on the days we have practice. So like it'll be get in at whatever age and leave at 5.30, um, which is a little bit different than college because, you know, co- at college you're kind of doing the same thing, but half the day was classes, you know. So it's the same kind of busyness, but instead of studying whatever class I had, I'm I'm studying a lot more football. So, and then um, on my the off days like today, I usually – I go in and hit the jugs, which is a – you guys know what jugs are,
3: right? The, yeah, yeah a yeah, big they're, catering they're, company they're here big, in indy but yeah it's also that's right they, well, they have unbelievable apple butter biscuits mm-hmm. yeah they are that's the football throwing machine right yeah, I, I couldn't figure out how to um, describe it but yeah <laughs> footballs at
2: you and then go do you know whatever whatever rehab i'm feeling maybe get a massage there and um and then I, I study film you know especially early in the week try to get familiar uh with the team you're playing it'll be a little bit a little bit different this week and last week because we've already played the team, so don't necessarily have to study as much. You already know kind of what they're going to do and and like the players, the personnel. So um, yeah, but definitely just you know, when I'm home, watch a little bit of film at night, review what practice, review the plays, just make sure I'm on top of my stuff.
0: Alec, last one: um, Do you have a favorite uh, place or restaurant in Indianapolis or the surrounding area?
2: Mm, not. Not yet. Not that I can think of. I, I'm, I'm open for some recommendations. I, I live downtown, so if you guys got any okay. any recommendations,
0: I, I, Jake will offer up. I, I believe it's the um,
3: at Raskeller. It's the mustard. Oh man, the hot mustard at the Raskeller, buddy. Let me tell you something. Between that and the San Elmo shrimp cocktail sauce, if you got a sinus issue, hit up either. Right. You're good to go.
2: I had the, I did have the uh, the Saint Elmo's uh, shrimp cocktail. It was great. I love, I love horseradish. It was, it was delicious. Well, I then love. you
3: got to get the mustard at the Raskeller. Okay, that's I'm that's telling cool. you right now. I, Thank I God. would, I would encourage the bye week some mac and cheese
0: from the Eagle, and probably do a couple servings of that, but save it for the bye week. Maybe, maybe for the off season. Yeah. Okay. Alec Pierce, game-winning touchdown on Sunday, his rookie season, off to a wonderful start. Alec, congrats. Stay healthy, and uh, we'll be watching certainly on Sunday. Yeah, thank you, guys. Alec Pierce right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, that was Alec Pierce with us on Tuesday morning, so I'll keep on trying to throw those in to the podcast here. Uh, usually after wins, we have a Colts player on our morning show, and um, always enjoy that conversation. A family of athletes, Brendan King. The Pierces. Yeah, he's a pretty good football player, huh? And I think that's like a really well said comment. um, To some, that might sound very elementary, but he is just a good football player. Like, yeah, good hands, speed. Yeah. He has like a lot of very good athletic traits that I think would translate to many sports. Like, I think he would be a wonderful center fielder. Yes. Um, We know his volleyball background. Man, if he knew how to skate,
1: he would be the fastest player in the NHL some
0: very good hand-eye coordination yeah um yeah he
1: may Uh, maybe he knows how to skate
0: I I was gonna say yeah yeah. I wouldn't shock me if he's probably a good golfer so (laughs) there you go Alec Pierce with us uh let's hop into Twitter questions now
1: Kev we're getting right to the burning questions here what is your take on Jim Irsay breaking ranks and commenting on Daniel Snyder's ownership of the Washington Commanders oh boy that is from Patrick Patrick
0: um I was picking up Rosie yesterday afternoon when I saw Jim Mersey's comments. And as much as I love picking up Rosie, I sat there and was like, Oh boy, I gotta pay attention to this for a few minutes. Did Rosie have a comment? <laughs> she she did not. She was <laughs> she was very happy to see me, but um luckily I don't think she can tell time right now. And like, wait, Daddy's supposed to be here at four thirty seven. Why is he not here yet? Um I, I was clapping in my car when I saw that. I, I was, um, I think in society right now, Brendan, there is like this feeling that there's just a feeling of people that seem to think that they can abuse power and do it to the nth degree, and by no means is the NFL some perfect moral compass in eliminating people that are abusing their power, um, so by no means do I want to go down that that path, but... I just get really pissed off when I feel like people in positions of authority just think that they can get away with stuff and that money and fame will win out and they can just sweep that under the rug and outlaw people. And they're going to be good. Everything will go away and I'm going to win in the end because I've got the most money and I've got the biggest title and the most fame and all of that. And I feel that way about Daniel Snyder. And I've been fortunate to go to several NFL owners meetings and the stuff that Jim Mercy said yesterday, that stuff does not happen with that fraternity. That is a very close-knit fraternity. And as we record this at 3 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon, I think there's a reason why Jim Mercy has been the only one to v- be very public on this so far. If I'm not mistaken, I think Robert Kraft and Jerry Jones both had chances to chat yesterday afternoon to well, the media. They busy arguing with each other. Right. So. <laughs> and they did not. Um, I think there's a feeling of like, hey, my team's good. We're not in the news for that. Money's pretty good. Uh, not our problem. And I think Jim Irsay um, has obviously learned from his own mistakes. And I strongly disagree with people that are like, boy, Jim Irsay from a glass house sh- you know, shouting at Dan Snyder. Boy, talk about pot, kettle, black. Couldn't disagree with that more. Um, Like... Just because a flawed individual calls out someone that I would argue is doing things and allowing things to happen under his watch that are much, much, much bigger of an issue than Jim Irsay's sad addiction illness doesn't mean that Jim Irsay should be quiet. Because frankly, Brendan, the only reason why this is news is because someone in that fraternity got in front of a microphone and said it publicly. That's why it's news. You know, if if Dak Prescott would have said something, if, you know, Frank Reich would have said something, it, it doesn't, it's not the lead story on ESPN like it was yesterday. Um, so I, I I credit, kudos, I've got a lot of respect for Jim Merce and taking a public stance on that. You know, part of me is curious, like, would Jim Merce have done this prior to his arrest in 2014? Or did that kind of open some things up in his life? Does the fact that three daughters are now adults, have their own children, and he's got seven granddaughters, that being a father to so many women in his life, has that opened his eyes a little bit more to like, oh my gosh, that is horrifying, some of the reports and allegations that are out there. Um, And in a much different way, again, I don't know, maybe it's me, me as a dad, to a girl maybe now this has been i i certainly have felt it in the last two years where like these sorts of storylines or what andrew luck said at stanford a month ago about title nine i'm kind of like yeah he is right you know like you know i like I, I i'm doing more of that stuff and again i don't think i would necessarily would have done that to the degree that now i feel that inside of me if that makes sense uh before having rosie so um it's probably a lot of just growth and a lot of just like general life experience helps shapes and formulate how you react to things moving forward um, so um, again total respect for Jim mersey i thought he worded it very well too in saying like if these reports and allegations are true there is merit to oust him as owner and it needs to be under consideration basically he's sent a warning sign And I think that warning sign needed to be said. And maybe we should credit the NBA for what they did with Donald Sterling and Robert Sarver and maybe putting that a little bit more into the limelight of, like, these owners are not untouchable. And if you put their feet to the fire, you can force them out. We'll see what happens with Daniel Snyder. He certainly does not seem like one that's going to back down uh, by any means. And I'll add one more note. known a few people that have – been associated with Daniel Snyder, have worked for Daniel Snyder, was chatting with one of them yesterday. And I said, just curious, how would you describe working for Daniel Snyder in a very succinct text of about eight to 10 words? The response was complete and total a-hole, insane, inept, a petulant child. that's probably a bit of a mic drop there and just who this person is. So, um, yeah, I don't have a lot more to add on to Brendan. Again, we'll see how everything evolves from this. Um, I remember being in Atlanta for the 2014 spring meetings when it was Ursay's first public appearance after the arrest. I was fortunate enough to do the first interview with him after that. And I remember being in his hotel room thinking to myself, wow, I'm really nervous, and then secondly, walking out of there and thinking, it strikes me as a guy that's like learned a lot. And I think his actions since then, whether it's wanting to be more public about kicking the stigma and listening to his youngest daughter, Kalen, who's really been a huge spearheader of that, or it's moments like yesterday at the league meetings, um, we need more people in positions of authority to call out other people in positions of authority when – they're trying to use that to get away with things. So, Jim say good work. Great words, Kev.
1: Great words. Uh, so, I have a question yeah. for you. Uh huh. So, Jerry Jones is in a league of his own. Bob Kraft is in a league of his own when it comes to ownership. There will never be another Jerry Jones. But this is just my opinion. Yeah. Ursay to me would be the most likely person to do this with how public he is with his story with I mean the guy tweets every day I mean I'm from a city kev where the owner is 102 years old and George McCaskey barely speaks mm-hmm. um, right. th- those owners don't speak. And there are few owners in the NFL that actually do speak consistently. Uh, the, the Carolina Panthers owner, I'm blanking on his Dave name. Dave Tepper. Yeah he he had that inter- he had that press conference after they fired Matt Rule. He seems decently personable enough. Yeah. Um. But uh, to me, Jim Irsay would be one of the few. And I again, I put Jerry Jones and Bob Kraft in a league of their own. In the grouping that Jim Irsay is in, he's the only guy to me that would do something like this.
0: And I think something that really pissed off Ursay And I don't want this. I hope this wasn't kind of the smoking gun that got Ursay to get in front of a mic. I would like to think he would have done this without these comments from Daniel Snyder. But it was reported in the ESPN piece last week that Daniel Snyder, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, called the NFL, you know, it's a mafia in the ownership group. They all hate each other. And Ursay, if you listen to what he had to say yesterday, he did say several times the, the shield and. Doesn't feel like the ownership group was properly uh, portrayed by Daniel Snyder by any means. Um, Ursay is a staunch, staunch defender of the league and what it has meant to him and his family. He you know, tell stories about, and I don't know if I have all this right, but the Rooney's and the Hunts coming to his wedding and, you know, you know, being very young and hanging around all of these legendary families that, you know, he brings up George Hallis. I feel like every single press conference that he gets the opportunity to. So I think Ursay was particularly pissed off that Daniel Snyder also went there again, reportedly. Um, I would like to think and hope that even without that, he still would have had such an urge and such a feeling to do what he did publicly but I want to provide a little bit more context. I know how much the history of the NFL means to Jim Irsay, and so I think he felt personally attacked by Daniel Snyder with those comments. Um, I think everyone saw the Commander's press release yesterday. It did not mince words in directly responding to Jim Irsay. And um, I guess I will, a little tongue-in-cheek here, but I'm kind of serious. The Tart Glenn Ring of Honor, a week from Sunday, that needs to be moved to a different game. And then the halftime show a week from Sunday needs to be the Octagon at midfield, Daniel Snyder in one corner, Jim say in the other, extend halftime a few minutes, and the winner of that, three points on the board starting the second half. I I vote for it. Are we in? I'm in. I'm in.
1: I'll be the ref. Uh, you know what? You'll sure. be the ref, I'll be the ring announcer.
0: Yeah, do the commanders have a mascot? Fight
1: out I, of the
3: blue
0: corner. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Yeah. J.J. Stankovic, new PA guy, can throw it down to you and then boom. That sounds like, hey, I wouldn't be leaving my seat. No, I wouldn't be going back to grab a burger or some pizza at halftime. No. I'm locked and loaded right there. But, uh, again, 425 kickoff a week from Sunday. Jeez. Uh, a little bit of juice with this matchup and a lot to unfold. You know, the investigation still ongoing for those that haven't fully ingrained themselves with it. Um, there are accusations of sexual harassment. Uh, within the Washington organization that has been under Dan Snyder's watch for several years now, and uh, an accusation of sexual assault to Daniel Snyder by a Washington employee on his plane, among other things. Um, financially, I think the owners are also frustrated by the lack of a new stadium, and just basically the Washington brand is really strong. And if you look at their revenue, it's extremely low in the NFL, and NFL owners are like, "You're you got to be inept." Well, apparently that to- stadium sucks too, right? Right. You got to be an apt to have got a brand that was as strong as Washington's was, and to have let it get to this level. So there's a lot, lot there to unpack. Certainly, a lot legally. Um, I've always felt like Jim Mercer's got an unbelievably genuine heart. There are certainly, he's not a perfect human being by any means. Um, again, been fortunate to see him behind the scenes when the cameras are off and f- philanthropic. Bones, family bones, those are alive and well inside of that man. And I think he means well with so much. So um yeah, kudos. Kudos to him for what he did yesterday.
1: All right, Kev, we'll move on. Yeah. That one guy mentions from Gus Bradley's insistence on continuing to give Brandon face on meaningful snaps to Chris Strausser continuing the run Matt Pryor out as part of the starting five on the offensive line. Uh, at one point, at what point do Chris Ballard and Frank Reich forego their ideals of competition for every position by, and have the best player play? And furthermore, at what point would Frank Reich lose the locker room if that continued?
0: Yeah, I guess this goes back to kind of the point I made earlier of the Chris Ballard quote of the locker room knows. I I, I didn't fully grasp or understand their definition of competition playing out during training camp. Then I listed out those positions a little bit earlier. Um I do think something with Matt Pryor right now, Brendan, and I assume, you know, I asked Frank Reich this today, you know, are you going to stick with the same offensive line? He's a little vague with that. I assume it'll be Dennis Kelly, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, assuming he's healthy, uh, Matt Pryor, and Braden Smith at right tackle. Like, I almost think we're to the point, and I don't know, maybe Matt Pryor will set a new low bar, so I'll retract my statement <laughs> potentially down the road. But I almost think we're to the point, Brendan, of like, Matt Pryor, you're the fifth best offensive lineman on this football team. That's a liability, but you almost have to accept it and try to cover it up. You know, you started Will Fries in the first matchup against Tennessee. You already benched Danny Pinter once. Like, how many options do you have to keep on trying there? Um, can you cover that up? Can you hide it? I mean, there are moments certainly on Sunday in the last play the, or the last offensive play of the game, one of those moments where Pryor gets beat and you're thinking, oh no, this could be crippling. And, obviously, Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry will be opposite Matt Pryor, I would assume, a good amount on Sunday. But, I mean, watch any offensive line around the league. There is a Matt Pryor probably on every single line. So, do you just kind of accept that? Or two. Yes, or, or two. Do you accept that, try and build chemistry, and move on?
1: Yeah, we'll go to JJ. JJ mentions it seems that Ballard runs the Colts using his vision, such as offensive and defensive lines first, building the trenches, which we've heard so often. Quarterback is in the most important position, and then preset decision rules such as don't pay for receivers, stockpile draft picks, and set a price for a free agent and don't overpay. For example, Danico Autry. Uh, He sticks with his plan, whether it works or not. What's the main reason behind that?
0: Yeah, I— I, I'm all for core beliefs, but I, I think you've got to have some willingness to make tweaks. And I guess, you know, you call it stubbornness. I don't know. Maybe that's too harsh of a word. But, you know, the blueprint has always been interesting to me with Ballard because his introduction to the NFL and where he was for, I think, about a decade was Chicago. Um, and they really built it very differently than Kansas City built it where he was there for four years in Kansas City. He was in a very high-level role there. Um I think you've just got to be open minded to changing, altering things. And this goes for him and Frank Reich. I always feel like results should impact some level of your process. You know, again, you can have the core beliefs that you want to live by, but I mean, the NFL game can evolve a whole lot. Your roster and your situation with your roster can impact things. That can evolve. Um, The NFL game certainly changes and has adapted a whole lot in recent years. And that's where I don't feel like he's committed himself to doing things differently over that time. It's almost like, you know, that binder he walked in and showed Jim Irsay on, you know, January 2017 to present him during the hiring process. I don't feel like there's been enough deviation from that with his roster construction.
1: Well, he was probably... Taking a sigh of relief on Sunday, right? That Paris Campbell had the game that he did because Ashton Doolins on IR, uh, Kiki QT got hurt. Um, DeMichael Harris just got re-signed to the practice squad. Yeah, so, I mean, like
0: QT's out this week. Yeah, sounds like Harris could get the call. So I mean, up. thank
1: God that Campbell had the game that he did. Or else mm-hmm. I mean, look, I mean, if I'm Ballard, I'm, I don't know if he's nervous about wide receiver depth or not. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Holy cow! Thank God Paris did what he did. He had a little Wes Welker type game from Paris Campbell. No kidding. All right, Joe is a first-time questioner, long-time listener. Hey, Kev, question for the pod. Any idea why our defense can't defend screens? Opposing offenses are feasting
0: with screens every week. Is it a product of Gus Bradley's scheme? Hey, Rodney McLeod made a big tackle on a screen on Sunday. Um, Yeah, there are some issues right now with screens. I'm curious, how much is that the new defensive line approach? Upfield, upfield, upfield. Upfield. No read and react. Immediately get upfield. Our team's you know trying to take advantage of that and say, all right, you want to get upfield, you want to have that quick first step, you want to get in the backfield right away. You know how can we take advantage of that? Um, so I do think that is something that you got to keep an eye on, and you know Tennessee will try and tap into that. I did think Jacksonville did a really nice job, and they almost were able to block up a few more of them. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely something that you got to look into. Okay,
1: right, Kev, Brian agrees with something that we were talking about on Monday, the Colts actually were not boring and looked like as if they were a legit NFL team on Sunday. Brian says, it's a shame that Frank Reich has to listen to the morning show with you and Jake for game plans. You comment on Sam Ellinger dressing and he does. You mention the fact that Reich about no, has no huddle up tempo, get the ball out quick. He does. Uh, my game ball goes to you, KB. Keep up the good work from Brian.
0: <laughs> oh boy, Brian. Thank you for that. Um, l- l- let's talk Ellinger here. And hey, you know, Full transparency, I was a little tipped off on the Ellinger thing, so that that's why I was mentioning that as often as I was last week. Um, the owner really, really likes Sam Ellinger, really, really likes him, and I think entering Sunday, the owner was not too pleased with how Matt Ryan was playing, and so I think I think Jim Mersay had some influence in Sam Ellinger getting the bump up to number two. Um. You know, Frank Wright today at his presser was like, Nick Foles has been lights out in practice. If a guy is lights out in practice, I don't think he gets demoted. And as much as you're thinking to yourself, like, Ellinger and short yardage, this and that, it's more than just that. I mean, hell, you saw the Colts on Sunday get into a ton of scoring situations and elect not to use Sam Ellinger. And, And sure, is that a wrinkle you could go to at some point? Yeah, but... This is my opinion, but I think it was the head coach realizing the position he's in, realizing the quarterback has struggled, realizing that the owner loves the young QB. And you know what? It probably would be wise from a job standpoint to maybe make a little bit of a tweak or change. You know Frank Reich's love for Nick Foles. Hell, he wrote the foreword of his book. That's not something he wanted to do, but I think the owner had influence in wanting this to happen. You watch Seinfeld, Kev? Not <laughs> bits and pieces, sure, but I feel like when you answer that and if you say yes, that means you have to know every single episode that's ever happened in Seinfeld.
1: I'm yeah. not that snarky. I do not. But th- that's fine. I mean, I love the show. Uh, you ever see the episode, uh, the Calzone episode? I have not. So George is working for the New York Yankees, and- George Steinbrenner is his boss, and George Steinbrenner mentions at lunch one day that he loves calzones. George go get, goes to get him a calzone, and then George gets George Steinbrenner addicted to calzones. But anyway, it's kind of the same type of feel that Frank Reich knows that Jim Hersey loves Sam Ellinger, so you go get him a calzone,
0: and everybody's happy. It's one of those you walk out of the meeting, you go back to your office, you think, I probably should do something. (laughs) You know, that's the guy that signs my checks. I should probably do something. (laughs) All right, Kevin, we'll go to Bailey. Uh, Do you see Frank Reich
1: sticking with the no huddle or quick tempo moving forward? I think that type of offense is where Ryan is best. And knowing Frank, he better not abandon what works this past week.
0: Bailey, again, normally he is not stuck with the no huddle. Uh, Of course, I'd argue the offense has never looked so bad and then so good in a flip of it. Um, It improved so many weaknesses that you had had. Um, I understand on the road it's probably a little bit more difficult than using at home. But, and I've helped kind of set your protections of, you know, again, Ryan knows the personnel. Okay, Jacksonville's starting lineups out on the field. I know strengths and weaknesses for all those guys. Jacksonville's not subbing in the third down rusher or the you know, elite dime, linebacker, corner, wh- whatever, and now you've got to identify who's new on the field. You can only do it in 40 seconds, all of those things. Um, I guess I, I'm not holding my breath based off past precedent, but as I said several times at this podcast, it has got to be close. It, it, it cannot be, oh, no, we're not doing it this week. It's a trip to Nashville, and it's going to be low score, and you don't want to get into a shoot, whatever the excuse would be. No. Kevin Stevens chimes in.
1: Are we witnessing Alec Pierce coming into his own with Matty Ice trusting him more and more throughout the last couple weeks? And if this is true, are they letting Paris Campbell walk
0: in a free agency this year, in your opinion? Thank you for the greatest Colts podcast, Kev. Steven, appreciate that. Thank you, man. It means a lot. Um just wrote something on Pierce on the website. Brandon, second in rookie, uh, second in yards for rookies behind Chris Olave. Bless you. And, you know, missed about a game and a half. Uh, second in place for rookies of more than 25 yards, um, and again the underneath stuff has been there. He's drawn a couple penalties. Uh, you know how he bounced back from week one. I, all of that just checks so many boxes as far as impacting Campbell in free agency. I think got separate. Campbell's a much different skill set. Uh, he's not going to break the bank, and for me it comes down to health. You know if, if Campbell can play a good amount of games, and right now. Um, he's clearly on pace, too. I don't think he's been on the injury report all year. Uh, that would be a very good sign. and That, that to me, would be the biggest deciding factor for agency-wise. About Pierce, so you've got huge games coming up.
1: Whether or not the Steelers are good or bad, I mean, Monday Night Football is awesome. Right, that's Monday be after at home. Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah that's going to be sick. I mean, the Eagles are coming here on November yeah. 20th. So, like, will his performances in those games kind of dictate how you feel about what he's done the last month or so?
0: Maybe that's the next step. But, I mean, Brendan, I've been so impressed by the last month. Like, critical moments in games, they've turned to him, and he's delivered. And again, it's not just, yes, the go ball route, all that stuff. I thought that would be there as a rookie. I didn't think it'd be there to this quantity. But it's some of that under- underneath stuff. Like, I mean, there was a third down on Sunday where he beat press easily in a slant, and boom, first down. Those are strides and growth that it's like, man, there there's more to work with than I originally thought.
1: All right, Kev, lighter question here from Mitchell. Who's your favorite Colts super fan? Mitchell says he enjoys Cloney Dungy. Is that actually? A oh thing? yes, Cloney. uh uh-huh, sure. Or Colts Caveman, aka Rick Stevens. Shout out KB and Eddie.
0: Thank you for that, Mitchell. Yeah, Colts super fans. Um, the guy that dresses up—he's got he like, look he's got a boombox on his shoulders. Uh, i saw him at training camp a good amount. It introduced myself. Uh, I. Believe if I saw correctly, and I don't know, maybe you got a better look at this. But did I thought Clony Dungy lost the shrimp eating contest on Sunday during halftime?
1: I actually did not see, uh, I uh, was talking with somebody at halftime in the back, so I did not see such shrimp eating contest.
0: believe that was Aaron on the Jumbotron there. Um, so Clony Dungy, have you ever do you know who this person is? Unfortunately, no, so should I? A, a clone of Tony Dungy, okay, um, dresses up like Tony Dungy. Does the headset? He's like real big into like uh, doing some of the Lego or like little action figures of oh so Colts he players. Probably loved Rodrigo Blanket. I'm probably very disappointed that you know that rod... Rodrigo Blanket on the Cardinals now. I saw that and the kicker that amandola was their kicker with Matt Prater out. He was the Chiefs guy that missed all the kicks here. Yeah, uh, kicker cycle is kind of wild. Uh, yeah, I, I would throw those in there. Hey, hey all echo what I said on Monday. I thought the crowd was outstanding on Sunday. I've certainly been one to be critical of the environment inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. I felt it pissed off. I felt a pissed-off fan base, and I liked it. I thought there was some edge. I thought they delivered. Jerome Boger was making them edgy even more. I thought it was great. First down. You love the Boger impression. Oh, I love him. (laughs) You are good at it.
1: Uh, Okay, so a little long-winded question here from Damon. Okay. Of these four knee-jerk reactions from Sunday's win over the Jags, how would you order them least to most likely to be true? Okay, so we've got four that we're ranking here? Four of these, least to most likely okay. to be true. Number one, Sam Ellinger will remain the second-string quarterback and will dress over foals as there are design plays involving him not yet to be revealed. Number two, Paris Campbell has begun to take the next step in earning his second contract. Number three, Dennis Kelly is the answer at left tackle. Number four, Ballard selections at defensive line are starting to pay off, and the pass rush will remain consistent. Thanks, Kevin and Eddie, and keep up the great work.
0: Damon, I like that. That's a good one there, okay? So he's saying least to most likely to be true? Least to most likely. Sam Ellinger, second string. Paris
1: Campbell, second contract. Dennis Kelly, the answer at left tackle. Or Ballard selections at D-line are starting
0: to pay off. Man, when you rattle it off like you just did, I might go fully in the reverse order of how he said those. Reverse order. Yeah. So I would say. So you don't think D linemen are starting to pay off? Well, I compared to the other three. Compa- yeah. Right. You Let's know, see. I I think you all got it's got to be in the context of the question there. You know, as far as the D line right now, and boy, I I know I'm gonna get ripped for this. Brendan, but I still wanted to see just, and I get the injuries have played into it, I still want to see a little bit more from Pay. Um, I was looking up some numbers when he went down, because I think it's really important to, like, when guys get hurt, I think it's key to, like, evaluate them at that point, because then if they miss a month, then you get to the end of the season and you're like, well, let's evaluate their stats now. Well, they missed four games. It's hard to kind of evaluate them. You know when they've played twelve, and other guys have played sixteen or seventeen. So I looked at Quiddy Pay stats uh, coming into last week. He was like he was. I think he was twenty fifth in sacks. Okay. He was like fifty eighth in pressures, seventy eighth in quarterback hits. Just if you look at his draft class, he was taking what 21, some somewhere around twenty one there. He's probably like right around a handful. In those same categories, you know, right around five and tackles for loss or sacks or quarterback hits, you know, when you're, I don't know, maybe am I being too greedy? I no, maybe the position has been so swing and miss that you just feel like at some point you you got to hit on a little bit more. And I mean, you take a rusher in round one, I think expectations should be high. I also felt like he was a little bit more ready made than some of the other, yeah guys drafted in that twenty one class. Here's my
1: frustration with it. I think it's different if Quiddy Pay is selected in a different year, but the fact that you went him one and Odangbo two. Right. And in that draft you could have solidified potentially the left tackle where you're still not having problems to this that's day. That's a good point. It's a good point. That's what frustrates me most about that.
0: So I can fully understand if people want to criticize me for being too harsh on pay. I think there's some evidence. There's some numbers that would back where I'm coming from on that, and as you guys know, I never say anything out of just, oh, yeah, that, that sounds like something that makes sense. No, there's going to be substance behind everything. You know, Dayo, I, I know he's quiet last week. He was coming off the Achilles. It's still probably too early. Taequann Lewis, though, big, man. Looked like, really good. Gosh, I mentioned that sack, that third and two sack. I went back and watched a little bit more of the game. The third and two sack, and you know another wild thing after that sack? You're down 14-3 you recover two of your own fumbles down four. I, mean, I forgot about the Granson fumble. That ball was l- – Ryan Kelly, great effort mm-hmm. getting on that ball there after the sack before you scored that touchdown to make a 14-10. And Banigou continues to do nothing. nothing. So, I, yeah, I'll go there. Dennis Kelly, the answer at left tackle, I'd, I'd probably say, yeah. And, again, answer, I, that's a little too harsh for me. I would say he's the guy there for now. One eye towards the future, though. You know, what about Ryman? Put Campbell there. Yeah, I think it's fair to say Campbell's taken – he has begun to take the next step in earning a second contract. Yeah. Now, the second contract could be one year. That's what I think it should be. And then Ellinger will remain the second string QB. Yeah. That's a really good question, Damon. Thank you for that.
1: Yeah, that was really good. Nice work, Damon. All right, from Patrick. Carolina is hosting a fire sale. I know you're not an advocate of trading picks. But trading a mid-round pick or two for a versatile playmaker like Christian McCaffrey or DJ Moore could help settle the offensive woes. Uh, Yeah,
0: Patrick, I don't know if a mid-round pick is going to get CMC. I'm sorry. No. And you go back to the Wentz drama. Draft capital, precious. It's even more precious when the franchise has ignored quarterback for as long as they have. So, sorry. I I, I just can't. I I don't know. Maybe DJ Moore or Christian McCaffrey would cost – you know, a round—I I have no idea what what they would cost, but I don't think you're in a position right now to entertain that. And I get it; like, an additional fifth or sixth rounder might not be the difference in making that trade up for a quarterback. You know, who knows what an entire trade package would look like? But that's—that was my hesitancy with the Nick Cross trade up last year. Of like, oh man, I boy, obviously the Corey Wells situation that looks really good, but then it's like. If that's the pick that keeps you from making a trade up for a quarterback, yeah, jeez, yeah, where's where's McCaffrey going? Is he going Buffalo? It's
1: a great question, but I'm going to probably say multiple first round picks for Christian McCaffrey. Oh, really?
0: That the, 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 that rich?
1: Don't you think? I, well, I just running backs, man. They just. But I think he's a little different than
0: like a I, I trading for Kenyon Drake. But... You know well, like the Ravens yeah. did. But I just added Kenyon Drake to my one of my fantasy teams, so I would appreciate it if you didn't talk about him like
1: that. I w- well I put in a waiver claim for him, but I, I uh didn't get him.
0: Oh so. well, well,
1: I don't think you're in the same league I am, but No, I'm not. Yeah. But anyway, uh a couple more. Wake Spike. Yeah am uh hey guys. <clears throat> Is the loss of Sirianni's more intensive coaching the Spark high character guys need? Someone to advocate for the urgency went down went down and be the voice of the diva when they're up especially since I don't see any of the captains on offense having more than a family sitcom dad level of fleeting anger postgame.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Give us that last sentence again.
1: Uh, especially since I don't see any of the captains on the offense having more than a family sitcom dad level of fleeting anger postgame.
0: I wouldn't be the want to be the one to say that to Quentin Nelson. You imagine that? Oh man! I think we would both get well beat up pretty good. Boy, look like what Jim Murphy is going to do to Daniel Snyder here a week from Sunday in the <laughs> Octagon. Pop pop. Um, Nick Sirianni. How about him the other night? Yeah, that's game and an fu. Yeah, is that what I saw? He's probably feeling pretty good. He's got some fire, man. He's got some fire. Uh, very different, obviously, than than Frank Reich. And, and, you know, it's what Reich wanted out of that OC position. You know, he wanted a, a very different personality. It's interesting because Marcus Brady is not like that at all. Br- Brady's got a little bit of an edge, but it's certainly nowhere near uh, as public as Sirianni has it. I mean, one thing that I will credit Nick Sirianni for, I thought he'd be overwhelmed in Philly, but he took a huge burden off his plate in not calling plays. Shane Steichen's been their OC and has done that. I've... I've I found it interesting that Brian Dable did that with the Giants. Such a great play caller with Buffalo. He's not doing that as a head coach. And I don't think Iberflus is calling the defensive plays in Chicago. I think it's Alan Williams. Mm. It is interesting to me that Sirianni and Flues come from the right tree and they've elected not to do – now, granted, Sirianni didn't call the plays here, but you just I, – I just kind of assumed he would do that there. Um, yeah, I mean, leaders – that personality trait, I do think, is what guys gravitate towards a little bit more. Um, and clearly, boy, he's he's done a great job in Philly. I'm excited for that game in a few weeks. What did you say, the
1: 20th? November 20th. Nice. It's going to be cool. I mean... Just imagine, like, your ordinary 27-year-old male undefeated in fantasy football. I mean, they're gloating and walking down the street like they have a million bucks. What if you're an NFL head coach and you're undefeated? I mean, that's... Preach. You know?
0: Preach, man. You know? You're, you're rocking a shirt. I saw they made shirts, right? Didn't yeah. They make shirt? That's game, FU, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's awesome. No in Sirianni. He probably will have a shirt or two of that in his closet. That's awesome. All
1: right, last one, Kev, from MW. This is an interesting question. Would you rather have rookie Philip Rivers... Rookie Matt Ryan, Peyton Manning at 37 years old, Andrew Luck at 37 years old, or a combo of the best traits of Carson Wentz, Jacoby Brissett, and Sam
0: Ellinger on your cor- current team? Wow. Boy, that's that's making my brain work on this Wednesday afternoon. Give that to me one more time. Would you rather have rookie Philip Rivers, Okay, rookie
1: Matt Ryan, Peyton Manning at 37, Andrew Luck at 37, or a combo of the best traits of Mr. Wentz, Mr. Brissett, and Mr. Ellinger?
0: Well, I'm trying to think. Did Manning win a Super Bowl at 37? I feel like he did.
1: Yeah, when I first read that question, I uh, kind of had the same thought. I mean, you.
0: Manning's arm fell off very shortly thereafter, but... If, if you're offering me Peyton Manning... Well, if you're offering me a Super Bowl, then yeah, yeah I... I, I I just take the Super Bowl. Andrew Luck at 37. I'm a little worried what that body would have looked like at 37, or, or I guess well, granted, he looks a whole lot different right now. looks pretty happy. Right now, rookie Rivers, rookie Ryan. I mean, I hate to do it to him, but. It's a lot of picks. Well, yeah, and unfortunately there's no ring on either finger, right? No. Um, and, and I know it sounds a little harsh, and Matt Ryan was very, very close. Boy, that's a wild one. You know what? Part of me might say, let's go with the combo. Really? <laughs>
1: Well, I, I think the best trade for Jacoby right. Brissett is what fourth and one? <laughs> Fourth and
0: one, you baby. It, and I mean, how about you? all you get. All right, I want Wentz. Uh, I want Wentz's arm. I think he's got a big arm. I want Ellinger's accuracy. I want Ellinger's mind. I want Jacoby on fourth and one, and I want Jacoby shedding sackers. <laughs> just shed, he just literally looked like a bunch of second graders on his legs. I thought Jacoby was brilliant with that, and still is brilliant at that. So, I this is why I don't know what can I win a Super Bowl. With? I I I'm going the created player route. Yeah, he says combo of the best traits, right? So plural. It's not like I'm just taking one from each. Um, I'm gonna take multiple from each, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is, is that, this it, is it, it, the QB factory. Is that with Kevin Bowen? Where would you go on that one? Was that a ludicrous answer by me? No, it's your opinion. I I mean, rookie Rivers, rookie Ryan, you'd have a ton of success. I'm taking Peyton. Peyton at 37, if you can win a Super Bowl. Because I I just build around him. I'm just picturing this Wentz-Jacoby-Ellinger combination. I'm like, God, that is wild. I Just more out of entertainment. I'd like to see what it looks like.
1: Would that combo have a a one-in-a-million-foot injury? Oh,
0: come on now. Gosh, that, what was the doc, doctor's name who performed those surgeries on Nelson? Uh, yeah, was I can't remember. David Porter? Yeah. Yeah. Wentz <laughs> with a foot and then Nelson the next day. That was that was one of the craziest 48 hours Yeah, I think Gosh. we've ever had. How about that start to training camp? Reich had COVID, right? Yeah. What a disaster. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, what do we got? Are we done? We got one more? Uh, that's it. Uh, I did want to sneak in this one from Casey. I thought this was outstanding, Brendan King, and really made me think. I'm to throw it to you. Oh, all right. From Casey, no doubt the linebacker group has a lower ceiling with Shaquille Leonard not in the lineup, but does it have a higher floor? Ooh. Read that to me one more time. No doubt the LB group has a lower ceiling with Shaquille Leonard not in the lineup, but does it have a higher floor?
1: I love Bobby O'Karake. Love him. I think he's smart. Physical, he's strong. Um, I, I obviously you miss Shaq Leonard's playmaking ability, the takeaways, the punch fumbles, but you lose a superstar for sure when he's out. But you just gain really solid, good football players. EJ Speeds, Zaire Franklin, Bobby Okereke. How big was that speed stop on yeah. fourth and one? So I'm not saying that they don't miss Shaq Leonard. But when he's out, you just got some smart dudes in there, man.
0: I think I think Casey hits the nail on the head with that one. I, I just think there's more steadiness in the group. Maybe not as boom or bust. That makes sense? That's a really yeah. interesting question. Um and as we talked about earlier with Isaiah Rogers, you are missing turnover making plays. You are missing hands on the ball. You are missing that big time. But the other stuff I feel like you are a little bit steadier. And, you know, I asked Frank Wright today, you know, will a week of practice be enough for Leonard? It sounds like that's something that they're really, really debating. You know, is this the best week for Leonard to come back? A run-heavy team and wants to pound it right at you? You know, I don't I, – hmm, I do you know. need him to stop Derrick Henry? I'm a little skeptical of that. So, I'll be interested to see how that plays out. Really good question by Casey. That was really good. Okay, is that all of them? I believe so. All right, man. Prediction time for Sunday. Minus two and a half. The Tennessee Titans at home. Mm. Uh, the Colts have won both games, right, this year when they've been an underdog? Yeah. Titans have won four straight over you. I just – I've been a Titan supporter, and I still am. Uh, Vrabel has instilled the culture there that I think is very real. I think they've been just the cleaner, the tougher football team when these teams have gathered recently. Again, it's four in a row. You look at the scores, it hasn't been a massive score differential. But they've just found ways. They've made the plays in the third down, red zone, critical moments, and you have not. Um, but there is some. That, like they were so fortunate to beat the Commanders, fortunate to beat the Raiders. I think they're like thirty. I want to say it's like thirty-first in yards. Their receivers aren't very good. Produced without Traylon Burks too. Twenty-eighth, maybe in yards gained. Like they are not flashy at all. And I thought you just gifted them those short fields in the first matchup. Um, you got to be able to stop Henry a little bit better than you did in that week one meeting and just somehow block Autry and Simmons. The, those do worry me. Autry, Simmons, and maybe Bud Dupree if he's healthy. That concerns me, but I am going to go with the Colts 23-20. So they cover? Well, Colts went outright. Not, Colts are a two-and-a-half point dog. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah two-and-a-half point yeah. dog. So I will go with the Colts 23-20. I just— like I frankly think Jacksonville has more potency than Tennessee. Mm. To the earlier point, Tennessee's got a higher floor, but do I don't I don't know. Am, am I crazy? Who are you no, getting?
1: I I think they win too. Okay. Um score? Oof. I, I think it's a field goal game cap. I think that is I think that line reverse it. You give me Colts by a field goal. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll take Colts 27-24. Um, A little bit higher scoring than I got. A little bit, okay. but again, without Traylon Burks, that receiving room is really, really, really thin. If you can stop Henry, I mean, that's that can win you the game. Yeah. I, they do.
0: You know what they Had love? Heavy to th- attention to Robert Woods.
1: Yeah, they love to throw to the Hilliard guy. Yeah, out of the backfield, uh-huh. especially in the red zone, which is weird because Derrick Henry not in the red zone. You're like, what the hell's going on? And then they throw this Hilliard guy. He's breaking two tackles at the goal line and getting in. So I
0: wonder if that may be a play. Yeah. And the guy with the weird name had a couple big plays Chico Choco. I kind of forget <laughs> his name. Uh, he had the, the play that iced it, the play action to Henry. And then they threw it to him in the flat. So it is a no name group offensively. It's just, I know they're exotic. And again, Vrabel has instilled in a, a culture that Jim says is jealous of, frankly. But, um, Boy, they've had your number. Four straight, most in Tennessee franchise history, and you know that pisses off the owner. <laughs> I guess a lot of things right now are currently pissing off Jim said, All right, Brandon King, thank you, man. Thank you, King. Great kiddo. work. I was going to say, there's
1: no better place to go when you're pissed off
0: than Nashville, though. Well, hey, Nash-Vegas Broadway? Amen to that. Amen to that, brother. Boy, I have had some days and some nights that have stretched <laughs> into mornings there that... <laughs> Yeah, we'll leave it at that. Uh, he is Brendan King, an outstanding job per usual on the podcast. Eddie Garrison will be back on Monday. Uh, we'll continue the Monday-Wednesday swing of things. Everybody have a great week, great weekend. Notre Dame, you cannot lose a UNLV, or you have to fire Marcus Freeman, and I don't want to do that because I like him. Ooh, did you just put out the F word? I, I, that was just – that just the Jim Irsay just all of a sudden it just – Went inside of my body and just boom, there it is. <laughs> the I, F I, word from I, Kevin Bowen. I don't know, and and I like Marcus Freeman. I think he should be given a, a much you know longer chance than this. But um, you just you can't lose to UNLV. Cannot. cannot, cannot. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.